Welcome to the audio podcast of North River Church. You can find out more about North River and ways you can be involved at our website, gonorthriver.org. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, working our way through verse 18, we will complete this week our series through the book of Colossians, a series entitled The Supremacy of Christ. We have been looking at how amazing, how magnificent, how glorious Jesus Christ is. And what that means for us as we seek to live out, those of us who have trusted in Him for salvation, we seek to live out a godly life and make an impact in this world. I grew up in Georgia, and so there was one baseball team that you could root for and stay alive, and that was the Atlanta Braves. Pastor Scott is a huge Braves fan, and I've told him this story that I was about 13 years old and went to watch the Braves play, and it was one of Chipper Jones' first years as an MLB player. And so I'm with a friend of mine, we are at the game, we have our baseball, we're ready to get autographs, and I see Chipper running down the foul line, and I thought, An opportune moment, I'm going to scream his name from the stands, and he's going to run over and sign my baseball. And guess what happened? I screamed his name, he ran over, jumped up on the tarp that was rolled up right there, and said, hey, my name's Chipper, and I'm thinking, yeah. And he said, would you like for me to sign your baseball? And I said, yeah. (laughs) So I handed him a baseball. And then in that moment, a flock of people surrounded us where I couldn't move. My buddy and I got the autographs and we couldn't get out of the way to try to move. And Chipper looked and said, just hang right here for a little bit. And we talked baseball. Now, I'm just telling you, in that moment, Chipper was the greatest baseball player I had ever seen. He was the most famous baseball player I had ever come in contact with. And then here's the interesting thing. A couple of years ago, I read his autobiography, and I realized very, very quickly, he was just an ordinary guy. He was an incredible baseball player, but he had a lot of problems. He had marriage problems, he had people problems, he had money problems, and he details that all out in the book. And I'm sitting there thinking in my mind what I thought of him at 13, and then putting it into context of that he was a real person with real struggles and real problems. You say, Michael, what does Chipper have to do with Colossians chapter 4? Here's the connection point this morning. I think sometimes we approach the Bible in such a way that we think the people that we read about are somehow far above where we are. I think the people that we read about, we sometimes think they didn't have problems. And we sometimes think the reason that God used them was because they were so much better than us. 
They were so much greater than us. Their spirituality was at a level so far above ours that when God looked at them, he said, oh yeah, I can use that person. But when God looks at us, he says, eh, I don't know that I can use you. You're not at that level. And what I want us to see this morning as we close out the book of Colossians, and I don't think it's by accident that Paul finishes the book of Colossians the way that he does. Paul is going to name a lot of names, a lot of names that we don't encounter very often in the New Testament, names of people that really weren't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of the people that we think about God using. And I think Paul does that for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to help us understand the very clear truth that God can take ordinary people like you and like me whose lives have been transformed by an extraordinary Savior named Jesus Christ and He can use us to make an eternal impact in this world that we live in. So this morning, as we look at the text, I want you to begin with this question in mind. How could God use me to make an impact for all eternity in this world? How could God use me to make an impact that would last For all eternity. Let's look beginning in verse 2 of Colossians chapter 4. Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus My fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you 
and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfilled the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of that in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, write down that main idea that we pointed out early in the message this morning. Ordinary people like us whose lives have been transformed by extraordinary Savior have the opportunity to make an eternal impact in this world. You know, the question is, how do we do that? And Paul, I believe, gives us this morning a bit of a road map. Gives us a bit of a glimpse to say, here's some practical things that you can do to walk this out. Some practical things that ordinary people whose lives have been transformed by an extraordinary Savior, some practical things that you can do to make an impact in this world. You know, as we've been walking our way through the book of Colossians, and if you're new this morning to North River Church, you can always go back and listen to prior weeks. One of the things that we believe God's called us to do is to work our way systematically through books of the Bible. And so we've been working our way through the book of Colossians. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a book of the Old Testament. We flip flop back and forth between Old and New Testament because both the Old Testament and New Testament are inspired of God, given to us so that we can know more of who He is and what He's done in this world, and then align our lives with Him and His plan. But as we've been walking our way through the book of Colossians, what we've seen is Paul writing to this group of believers in a specific location, in a city, in a specific church. And Paul has praised the work of God in their lives. Paul has celebrated the fact that they have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. That they came to the realization that the only way that they could have a relationship with a holy God is if they were forgiven of their sins. And that forgiveness was made possible through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they have taken the step of trusting in Him for salvation, believing that He is their Savior, that His death on the cross does cover their sins. And in light of that, Paul is reminding them that those were coming in the church attempting to say, it's not just enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Savior, to trust in Him for salvation. They were saying, you need Jesus plus something else. 
You need Jesus plus some experience, or you need Jesus plus some extra knowledge, or you need Jesus plus whatever it may be, some act of works. And Paul is reminding him throughout this letter that Jesus Christ is enough. You don't need Jesus plus something. You need Jesus, and that is enough. Jesus Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection is sufficient for forgiveness of our sins, for us to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And Paul continuously throughout this letter has been lifting high Jesus for those reading this to see that Jesus is amazing, that He is magnificent, that He is glorious, that Jesus Christ is all that they need. And for us, we've been reminded each week as we've walked through this letter that the greatest problem most Christians have is not seeing Jesus for who He really is. For trusting in Him for salvation and then thinking that that's not quite enough. We need something more And every single week, my prayer is that we have been lifting Jesus up. That we have been raising our eyes to see Him for who He is and for what He has done. It has been a glorious journey through this letter. Through Paul's encouragement to these believers. Don't get sidetracked. Don't lose sight of who Jesus is and what He has done. Don't lose sight of how glorious He is. Don't lose sight of how magnificent it was that He took you being trapped and dead in your sins and He forgave you and made you alive in Him. That's where Paul comes at the end. Paul, who is in prison as he's writing this, with a few peoples around him, gives what are often termed in Paul's letters his final words. What are the last things that he's going to leave this group of believers with in this letter? In light of what Paul has encouraged them with, Paul leaves them beginning in verse 2 with these instructions. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. If you're taking notes, here's the simple truth. We can be a people who are devoted in prayer. A people who are devoted in prayer. Paul says to this group of believers, continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue. Which means that they must have been doing what to start with? Some of y'all, come on. Praying, right? 
And in fact, if you look back at his original greeting to them and celebrating with them, he says, listen, you are a praying people. He says, continue in that. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So the picture that Paul is painting for this group of believers who are seeking to live out the reality that they are children of God, that God has taken them from being dead in their sins to being alive in Christ. Paul gives them these instructions. You want to know how to make an eternal impact? Paul says, continue praying. Isn't it sometimes tough to pray? You know, prayer is one of those things that we often talk about, but don't often do. Is that a fair assessment? Unless things get really bad. And then it's like, all I can do is pray. But yet, Paul says here that prayer should be the foundation of the life of a believer. That we should continue steadfastly in prayer. Here's the thing that in the context of this book that's lifting high the name of Jesus, prayer reminds us that we are not in control. I like to be a control freak. I like to be in control. I like to know how the pieces are moving in the puzzle. I like to know what's going to happen. When Jay walked up, it scared me to death. (laughs) But so many of us as believers, that's our MO. That's what we want. I want to be in control of my life. I want to be in control of what's going to happen. And yet the reality that we see here is Paul saying to this group of believers, if you want to make maximum eternal impact in the kingdom of God, you need to be solely dependent on Him. And we are dependent as we pray. Because as we pray, we recognize that God is so much greater than we are. His ways are so much better than our ways. His wisdom is so much deeper than our wisdom. His plan is so much better than our plan. And in that, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Listen to this, verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us. What does Paul ask them to pray for. What would you ask people to pray for if you were in prison? Pray that we'll get out of here. Wouldn't that be the prayer that you would want people praying? But that's not what Paul says. Paul to this group of believers says, be watchful, continue steadfastly in prayer with thanksgiving and pray also for us that God would swing open a door so that we in the predicament that we are in will be faithful to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every person that we have an opportunity to share him with. We look at that and we realize that not only does prayer demonstrate our dependence on God, but prayer also aligns us with the plan of God in this world. 
I want you to hear me this morning. God's primary concern for your life is not your comfort. God's primary concern for your life is not that you are happy. God's primary concern for your life is not that you make a lot of money. It's not that your kids go to college. It's not that they marry someone not crazy, even though that's helpful. But the primary concern that God has for your life is that you will recognize your responsibility as a follower of Jesus to partner with Him in doing what He's called you to do. And Paul in prison looks at this opportunity before him. And instead of complaining about it, instead of bellyaching about it, instead of saying it's just not fair, he says, hey, pray for me that when the opportunity comes up, when the door is open for me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God would give me boldness to share the way that I ought to share. This is a fantastic prayer to pray for us as a church family. That when the opportunities are presented to us, and here's the reality, they are presented to us every single day. At the grocery store, at the restaurant, at the gas station, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your school, doors are constantly being swung open by a heavenly Father who says, will you be faithful and will you share with these people I've put in your path the hope that can be found in Jesus? That's what Paul tells them. You can make an eternal impact when you are devoted in prayer. Which for us should encourage us and challenge us as God's people gathered here at North River Church. If we claim the name of Christ that we too would look and say, I want to be a person who is devoted in prayer. Not only that, Paul continues on and he says, beginning In verse 5, not only can we be a people who are devoted in prayer, but we can be a people who are wise in our witness. Notice verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So it's interesting in the context here that Paul writing to this group of believers says, be people who are devoted to prayer, be people who are praying that the plan of God is going forth in this world and that we are part of what he's doing. But then he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. In the grand scheme of what we do every single week, coming and gathering together in this room as God's church at North River is just a small sliver of time in our week. 
We come and we gather and we may spend an hour and a half here. And yet we go out into our jobs and we are working 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week with other people. Or we go home and we're spending time at home with our kids and spouse and extended family. And we go out and eat in restaurants and we go and we spend time shopping in grocery stores and we go to kids sporting events. And all of that time, we are encountering people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so Paul writing to this church, who's seeking to make an impact in the world in which they find themselves in Colossae, says to them, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. That's towards those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, he doesn't say to them, talk bad about them. He doesn't say, fuss about the things that they're doing in their lives. He says, you, as followers of Jesus, walk in wisdom towards them, making the best use of the time. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious. And just think about that for a second. I've told you this before. I had a seminary professor who taught evangelism who said to us in class, one of the things that Christians have to understand is that people that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ are going to act like people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we as the church, as followers of Jesus, should not expect people whose lives have not been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ to act like us, whose lives have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in light of that, as we interact with them, we should take every advantage and every opportunity to make use of the limited amount of time we have, and our speech to them should be gracious. Qualifier. Always. You mean, Pastor, are you telling me that I got to be nice. I don't like them. I don't agree with them. We don't like the same political candidates, and you're telling me I have to be nice? We don't believe the same things, and you're telling me I have to be nice? They use bad language. You tell me I have to be nice? Listen, Paul. For this group of believers and to us says we have such a limited time interacting with people that don't know Jesus Christ. Why in the world would we speak to them in such a way that turns them off right off the bat because the things that we're saying to them are not kind and gracious. Why would we do that? Some of you are thinking, i got to delete Facebook. 
And that may be application this morning. Maybe you do need to do that. Now I can hear the objections that are coming from the crowd. Yeah, but, but what if what I'm telling them is true? Checklist. Am I being a jerk? If you check the box that says I'm being a jerk, you miss point one. But notice what Paul follows it up with. Seasoned with salt. Salt is a preservative. Salt is what's used to keep things pure and to keep them from being, from rotting. And what Paul is saying here is we have a unique position that God has placed us in within this world in which we live that's oftentimes hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who are far from God that we interact with on a day in and day out basis. What Paul is communicating here is that we can't interact with them in a way that is ungracious. But we also can't interact with them in a way that downplays truth. And so for us, our responsibility, our call is to speak truth, God tells us, in love. Now, if we speak truth, but we don't have love, we just beat people over the head. And let me just be honest, that doesn't work very well. But if we speak in love and we don't speak truth, we convince people that we love them and we don't believe God at His Word. That apart from a relationship with Him, they'll die and spend eternity in hell. So the tension is there. And what Paul says here is, so that we may know how we should answer Each person. And so as the door swings open and opportunities are presented for us, we as believers should seize those opportunities, should make the best use of our time. And situation-specific, person-specific, speak the truth in love. And all the while, pleading with God, help me. Speak the truth and speak it in love. Help me in my interaction with people not to err on one side or the other. Help me not to be a jerk. But also help me not compromise the truth of your word. Help me love them well and speak truth that will help them see who Jesus is and how He can change their lives. If we want to make an eternal impact, Paul says... We should be wise in our witness. Finally, closing out, Paul offers his final greetings. We can make an eternal impact if we're faithful in obedience to the Lord. I want you to notice the names that Paul calls out here. Tychicus. Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Barnabas, Justice, who, Jesus who's called Justice, Epaphras, we've got Demas, we've got Nympha, we've got Archippus, ordinary people. Now we look, I mean, there is a who's who list in that. 
I mean, Luke was the gospel writer who wrote the gospel of Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. I mean, he's kind of a big deal. And if we look at Paul, we would say Paul's a pretty big deal. But I mean, these other names that we encounter, very limited amount about them in the New Testament. But here's what I envision. Here's what I see in this passage. What I see is Paul, an incredible apostle of Jesus Christ, sitting in a prison cell, looking around him at ordinary believers. Ordinary people whose lives have been transformed by an extraordinary Savior. And Paul sitting and looking at them and just thinking, wow, look at him. I mean, this guy's life had been transformed by the gospel. And he's not well known, but I know him. And Jesus knows him because he's been faithful to walk in obedience to him. And look at this pastor that's at this church who's with me in my imprisonment. And man, his name's not widely known, but gosh, he's been faithful to walk in obedience to the Lord. And let's look at Onesimus, this slave, who's heading back to this city where his master was, and they are going to be reunited. And I've sent a letter that is bringing them together as brothers in Christ. Look at him being faithful to walk in obedience to the Lord. And look at this lady who had opened her home so that a church could meet in it. Look at her faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. And I I just imagine Paul in this moment with those gathered around him and thinking about those that this church would know. Just saying, this Jesus that we have lifted high, He's transformed these ordinary people's lives. And they are a magnificent part of the plan of God working out in this church. And ultimately, the gospel being spread throughout the world. And so here's the truth this morning. Church, we gather together as a bunch of ordinary people the great thing that is special about us is that Jesus Christ has transformed our lives if you're here this morning and you've not taken that step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the opportunity this morning to take that step, to join the family of God, so that what was said about these believers and what I've said this morning about followers of Jesus in this room can also be true of you. But let's just remind ourselves that in the grand scheme of God's plan at work in this world, every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus this morning, has the opportunity, as ordinary as we may be, as unimpressive as we may be in the world's system, we have the opportunity with Christ in us
to make an eternal impact in this world in which we live. And the reality is, if we are faithful in obedience to walk with Jesus every single day, the Lord will swing doors of opportunity open for us and give us a chance to walk in wisdom and to share the hope that we found in Christ, to love people well and to speak truth to them, and to boldly proclaim what Christ has done in and through our lives. How does the church of Jesus Christ grow? It grows when ordinary people, whose lives have been transformed by an extraordinary Savior, stand before the Lord and say, I want to be faithful to walk in obedience. Use me to make an impact that will last for all eternity. That is how the church of Jesus Christ grows and expands in this world. Church family, that is how North River Church will grow and expand in this community. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the opportunity to be reminded once again of how magnificent Jesus Christ is. To celebrate once again the great salvation that is made possible through his death and his resurrection. And if we have trusted in him as our Savior, salvation that has come in and transformed our lives. Father, if there's one here this morning that has not taken that step of trusting in Jesus as their Savior, would you help them see Jesus for who He is this morning? To recognize what He has done on their behalf in laying His life down, paying for their sins. And then being raised from the dead on the third day. Securing for them salvation and the ability to have a relationship with God. Would you help this morning them respond by faith. Trusting in Jesus for salvation. For those of us who are gathered that have taken that step already. Would you remind us this morning. That though we may be ordinary people, we've been transformed by an extraordinary Savior. And we've been called to join you to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that can be found through Him throughout this world throughout this community, throughout our spheres of influence and opportunities that you give us. Father, may we be faithful in obedience. May you open doors for us and help us see those doors open. Give us the courage to speak boldly in truth and in love that we would Walk in wisdom each day knowing 
that there are those who are far from God, who are watching our lives, who are listening to what we say, to find out if Jesus really is as great as we say He is. Use us. We ask that in Your Son's name. Amen.